Quiz time. How many of you identified with one particular character in this story? Hands? Anyone? You identify with them both? You identify with Jacob? Yes? No? Maybe so? No? Anyone identify with Esau? A few people. A few people identify with Esau. Why? Shout it out. I mean, I did because I'm hairy, right? Other people? I mean, I think common reading of this is that to our modern minds, Esau is slightly more sympathetic, right? He has a birthright, and his brother tricks him out of it for a bowl of soup. This is the sort of thing you see among brothers who are very young, right? Brothers and sisters, I will give you this candy bar for that toy, right? Anyone have that happen to them? I, I think I once gave away a plastic crate uh, for a handful of Hershey Kisses to my sister. So that's the sort of thing that happens, and so Esau is naturally sort of more sympathetic to us. We see him as the underdog, and we like underdogs. But of course, you look at it, and this story is the story of Jacob. Who knows what Jacob's name was changed to later on? Bruce! Israel. Israel! Ryan had it too. Okay, so this is the story of the patriarch of Israel, the named patriarch of Israel, Jacob. And so this story is being told by Jacob's descendants, right? And so this is one of those stories, just like last week, where the telling really matters. It's not just these things happened. First of all, we don't know how these things happened or whether these things happened in this way. These were not written down for thousands of years, certainly hundreds of years. This is pre-exile into Egypt. This is before Moses, right? This is how long ago this was. But it was an important story for some reason. And there are a couple of things that jump out at you because of it. We have this recurring theme of redness, right? Yes? Nod your heads. Esau was born red, red and hairy. For that reason, he was named Esau. And then Esau, again, eats the red stew. And so he's called Edom. Now, Edom, as you may or may not know, was a kingdom that was close to the kingdom of ancient Israel. It's sort of where southern Israel and Jordan come together right now, south of the Dead Sea. So Edom was another kingdom, uh, and again, Edom means red in Hebrew, and so this is where the redness comes from. And the Edomites, traditionally, were sort of hostile with the Israelites. They didn't like each other very much. Uh, and if you read uh, Psalm 137, my favorite psalm, you have the Edomites sort of standing, laughing around, pointing at the Israelites when, Israel, when Jerusalem is destroyed. So that is that enmity between Edom and Israel. And so we see these call, constant callbacks to Edom, and we are led to believe, and we're sort of pulled along to say, this story matters because it has something to do with the political problems between Israel and Edom. So that's one of the things the story is doing, and you see this a lot in the Bible, and you can tell frequently because there are these little asides. For this reason, it is called Edom. For this reason, and my favorite one, we do not eat the meat around the hip joint. This is actually in the Bible. I don't know if this is a custom anywhere, but at one point it was important, and so they said, we're going to tell a story to explain this thing that otherwise no one understands. And so that's what we have here uh, in this story between Esau and Jacob. And there are all these conflicts within it, and so we start out by saying, not only are there conflicts now between Edom and Israel, not only were there conflicts in your father's time between Edom 
in Israel, but it goes all the way back to when these two brothers were in the womb. That's how long this fight has been going on. So that's one thing we get out of the story. Another thing we get out of the story is that for some reason, Jacob wound up with all the land. Because the stakes here, in case you missed it, this is sort of caught up in biblical language that we don't use so much anymore with birthrights. What has happened here is that Jacob has tricked Esau out of his right to inherit his father's house. That's the birthright, right? So that's what's happened in this story. And one thing biblical scholars think is that one reason this story is told, and the story continues, this is not the end of that particular theme uh, in this book, uh, is that there was some tradition of Jacob being younger than Esau and winding up with the land. And so maybe this is the way it happened, maybe it was a different way, but you sort of need a story to explain because the law was, and tradition was, the older son inherits. And so we're looking at Jacob as the underdog here, but what's Esau's basis for inheriting all the land? Born first. By how much? A couple minutes, right? So basically we're saying, okay, well Esau's the underdog because he deserved to inherit his father's land because he was happened to be born first out of twins in someone's womb, right? So that sort of undermines the claim. Like, what makes him deserve that land? He can say, I was there first, and by custom, I was the oldest, but we sort of look at that and say, well, maybe that's shaky, at least as the story's recorded. And one imagines Jacob felt the same way, right? Anyone, a little brother, a little sister, the older brother, older sister gets a bunch of stuff. How do you feel? Do you like it? It's not fair. So there's Jacob saying it's not fair. And if you look at this story from Jacob's perspective, what has happened? Here's this person that likes hunting, that likes being out of the tent. Um, doesn't say he likes farming, says he likes hunting. He's a big guy, he's older, he's more athletic. Jacob, meanwhile, stays in the tent. Clearly learns how to cook, learns some other skills. Perhaps from Jacob's perspective, Esau lacks the foresight to lead a family lacks the foresight to lead a nation as they are prophesied to have. So from Jacob's perspective, he sees Esau and says, what has this guy done to deserve ruling over this area, being the head of the household? I will test him. Let's see if he'll give away his right to inherit for a bowl of soup. And so he does, and Esau fails the test. And so you can look at the story and say, well, Esau deserves the land because by tradition and by custom, the oldest inherits. Jacob deserves the land because from his skill he shows that he has the ability to lead this, uh, this tent and this nation, this family, in a way that Esau does not. So by tradition, Esau deserves it. By skill, Jacob deserves it. They both deserve the land, depending on your point of view. Now I think, I suspect the Edomites would tell this story slightly differently. I think they would not necessarily respect that Jacob deserved it because of his cunning, but maybe did not deserve it because of his trickery. So this is an important thing. They both have these claims. Now, what else is in the story that might be seen to devalue the claims of Esau? When he is born, he is born red and hairy, like a beast. And so you have, in addition to this sort of story saying he didn't deserve it because he wasn't clever enough, these other things, he also looked like an animal, right? He was not 
the same. He liked being out in the field with the animals, not doing civilized things like cultivating, and he looked like an animal. He was the red man savage. Anyone read Little House on the Prairie? Anyone? One? Come on, you're lying. Okay, good, a few more nods. People who grew up in South Dakota, did you read Little House on the Prairie? <laughs> um, okay, so Little House on the Prairie, for those of you who don't, incredibly don't remember, aren't familiar with the story. Um, we live in Iowa, people, come on. <laughs> like, this is a settler town, this is all about, this is, this is about history here, come on, go back. Um, for those who don't remember, it follows a settler family in the United States uh, who move from place to place, Wisconsin, Kansas, South Dakota. Um, I don't know if they ever make it to Missouri, but Laura Ingalls Wilder winds up in Missouri at some point. Um, and their stories about being sort of farmers in different parts of the Midwest during the 1870s, right, 1880s. And what is interesting reading Little House on the Prairie, the book Little House on the Prairie, because there are several books that take place in different places in the country. But Little House in the Prairie is notable because the premise of the book is that the Ingalls family has gone out to Indian territory and decided to just take some land, assuming that eventually the US government is going to legitimize their claim. That is the premise of Little House on the Prairie. They are illegally settling in Indian territory, assuming Uncle Sam will come and back them up eventually. And it's shocking now to read it this way. Because like, really, you're actually to come out and say that's what was going on? Uh, because it's not something that we sort of think of as couth nowadays. But that's in the book. And in fact, there's a point where Pa says in the book, well, they'll just have to live with it. It's the white man's world now, and it's a white man's country, and we're civilized, and civilization and cultivation are coming. So what we have again is the savages who have lived there for a long time, who have the rights of tradition and birthright, deserving on one side, and Pa's argument saying, well, no, they're not doing anything with the land. By merit, we deserve the land. And they are lesser than we are. And the Indians, of course, say, well, yes, fine, but you're thieves, um, as I'm sure the Edomites say. So why am I going on about this? Because the way we tell stories matters. What we have in both of these cases are conflicts. In, in these particular cases, conflicts over land. Right? Who gets the land? There's a thing. Everyone wants the land. But what we're doing is instead of saying, well, as it happens, my father got the land. There's where the land is. Your father did not get the land. So I'm on the land. And it was nothing that I did. It was not my merit that brought me this land. It was not my inherent superiority that brought me this land. It was the fact that my father somehow got the land that got me this land. Instead of doing that, what we're saying is we're going to tell some stories about why not only I have the land, but it is right and good that I have the land. And it is bad, or perhaps it is bad, that you have the land and I do not have the land. It's all about deserves. I have the land because I deserve the land. My ancestor was cleverer than yours was. You have the land that I deserve because my ancestor had a spear claim to you. So I should have the land. Once we say that, what we have done is looked around at the world. Looked around at a world that is full of justice and injustice, of fortune and misfortune, and tried to lay onto it some way of understanding it 
that reinforces what we have or explains why what we have is not our fault. And not only is it not our fault, but it's the fault of another person. Why is that dangerous? If our misfortune belongs to someone else, why is that dangerous? Because once they are a hairy person that does not deserve our land, once they are a trickster who stole our land, then killing them is justified then punishing them is on the side of right. Then it does not matter what we do to them, for our claim is superior, and God is on the side of the just. And so it is not enough that the white man is coming with superior weapons, inertia, different diseases. It is not enough that the Indians will, in fact, be herded into Oklahoma and killed. No, we had to tell the story that this happened because God was on our side. And we deserved that land. And we tell that story today. We got here first, we say. So you people who are coming don't deserve what we have. My ancestors worked hard to get here. You don't deserve it. You need to go back where you came from. We were here first. You should go back to El Salvador, where U.S. government policy propped up brutal dictatorships that killed people, destroyed families, and made your life unlivable. You don't deserve this place. This is our place. You should go back there. It's not our problem. Because we overlay this meaning that says we are right and you are wrong, it's not what it's about. This is what the New Testament tells us. This is what Jesus is trying to tell us over and over again. It's not about deserves. The rain indeed falls on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. Bad things happen to good people. Judgment is not ours to make on other people. That, as Jesus says over and over again, is his job. It is our job to feed Jesus' sheep, to live Jesus' grace in the world, to understand that they are all loved children of God, to show mercy and compassion. That is our job, and that is our joy. Because what happens when we see other people having things we think we deserve? The bitterness gets to us. If only this other person had not been unfair, if only I had not been blocked, if only I removed this person, my life will be better. It could well be that that person stole something from you. And you should pursue justice. But when it becomes all about having right on your side, when it comes to being righteous in all of our interactions, 
We are lost in bitterness, resentment, and fear. We lose the ability to see compassion. And what happens is we end up with stories about how this war has been going on since the beginning of time, into the womb generations ago. And what that loses is any sense that through the grace of God, through the hope of the Holy Spirit, through the forgiveness we are commanded to show, we may end conflict. We may try to find a better place. We may try to bring about the kingdom of God where we have sharing by all. We end wants and hunger. But as long as we hold on to what we deserve and what they deserve, we hold ourselves back. So when you go out from this place, remember, deserves got nothing to do with it. Justice and mercy are choices that we live every day, no matter where we started on this earth. Because we did not start in misfortune, and we did not start in fortune, because we deserved it. That's just where we wound up. Amen.